let's ask for a blessing on the uh, on the red and the spoken word this morning. Heavenly Father, come before your throne of grace this morning, and we pray, Lord, that you will open our eyes and our ears, our hearts and our minds to hear your word, to understand it, and to take it from this place and apply it to our lives. We ask this in the strong name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. In your pew Bible, if you uh, choose to join along, uh, page 1866, Hebrews chapter 4, starting at verse 14, reading through to the end of the chapter. Um, Chris uh, indicated to me this morning that this was, this was going to be uh, a short passage as well as a short sermon. Now, he did say in following up on that that once he gets going, maybe uh, the short sermon won't be... Uh, Maybe it has something to do with the chili upstairs. I don't know. Jesus, the great high priest. Hebrews 4, starting at verse 14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith, to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to I forget the year, but it was a, a, a major league baseball game, all-star game, in fact. And, and you have the American League playing the National League, and, and up comes the bat, John Crook. John played for the Philadelphia Phillies, and he was, he, he was a big-time hitter that year, uh, having a great year. And he came up to bat, and... and, and got to remember this is all-star game so these are the top of the top players and and he comes up to bat and gets up to the plate and he's all kind of lackadaisical and and then the pitcher throws the first pitch and I could not stop laughing John Cruck who, who normally would step into that ball he sees that ball coming and he steps back and tries to kind of fling his bat out at it the pitcher who was opposing him was Randy Johnson who was one of the hardest throwing pitchers at that time. And he's six foot six throwing off that mound. And that ball comes zooming in, and John Crook bailed. And the first time was kind of funny. The second time, he did the same thing, except he started off at the back edge of the batter's box. He wanted nothing to do with this pitch. And he just kind of throws his bat out there. And you could see his confidence was completely gone. Three pitches all straight down the middle, and Kruk was struck out. It was amazing. I realized afterwards, though, that, that part of my laughter and part of my sense of, of delight in seeing a major league player bail out on these pitches like that 
was my own sense of experiencing a lack of confidence, of being in situations where I felt totally out of my element and that the things that were coming at me were too much for me to handle. It's a common experience, I think. I would imagine if we went around the room, we'd all have a story to share about a a time where we were asked to do something and we just had no confidence that we could do it. During high school, it's a little admission, during high school, I was on the speech team. I just kind of say that quietly. I like to think of myself as an athlete, and I did play a lot of sports, but I was on the speech team too. In fact, the second semester of my senior year, this is how you craft a senior year, I had, I had a speech class, a study hall, and two drama classes. I was coasting. <laughs> It was a delightful time, though, and I had a a great speech teacher and and drama coach, and and they shared a lot with us about how to be confident. Part of the time, they said, just fake it till you make it, all right? So they would tell you, just fake it till you make it. Get up there, go through the motions, act like you're confident, and you'll come across confident. But they also gave us a few other tips, and and so I'm going to share some of those a moment here. Confidence. One is that believe that you belong. I'd say believe that you belong in the room, that you have a right to be there, that people need to hear you because you belong there. Believe that you belong. They add another piece to it. Be comfortable in your own skin. So in other words, they would say, don't try to to copy someone else. Don't try to to be like the person who went before you or who you think is coming after you. Be yourself while you're up there. Be confident in your own skin. Kind of take that sense of, yeah, I'm okay. I'm good with doing this as me, not as somebody else. Be comfortable in your own skin. And, And then they would add, know that you have something to contribute. There's something you have to bring to the table that no one else does. Experiences and perspective, maybe knowledge, maybe a skill, but you have something to offer. And so this idea of building confidence for them kind of went around these three things. Believe that you belong. Be comfortable in your own skin. And know that you have something to contribute. Confidence. So if those three things are there, anybody want to go up and finish the rest of the sermon? Anybody feel confident? Ready to go? Oh. <laughs> it, was, it was four pitches. <laughs> so, someone's Googling me during the sermon. <laughs> See, that's a danger when you preach these days. Someone, someone's going to look it up while you're preaching. Thanks, Jim. It is a different thing to come before God. We have all these kind of coaching tips and techniques of how to appear confident and how to, how to learn to be confident when we're doing presentations or when we're leading something. But it's an altogether different thing to have confidence when we come before God. Some of us grew up in a tradition where we would not participate in communion until we were on our deathbed. 
it was part of the culture, it's part of the older Dutch reform culture, that you did not dare to take communion because you might do it in an unworthy manner. And there was a sense of fear and trepidation that we, we came before God with. A sense of, if I don't do this right, if I don't have everything together, God's going to somehow get angry with me. I'm going to eat and drink judgment on myself. I'm going to do something wrong, and then I'm going to be in trouble forever. Some of us may not have grown up in that tradition, but we carry the same type of thing with us. We come here to worship, and, and we go through the motions of worship, and, and yet we have this sense of a, a distance from God, a sense that we can't quite get close to God, because if, if we were to get close to Him, we'd have to deal with some of those deep sins those dark places of our life that we've worked hard to hide from other people and, and even from God. We're afraid that if it comes out of what we've really done in our lives and the things that we've really, we've really done wrong, then not only will God's people reject us, but maybe God himself will reject us. I've sat with a number of people who, who aren't part of this church, aren't part of a church community at this point in time, who have said, as much as I want to come close to God, I know I can't go in the church building. I've done things that are just too wrong. My sin is too great. And we bring with us this sense of, of coming before God and that somehow God is going to be angry with us and God's going to, God's going to condemn us having confidence, having confidence to come before God and, and really lay it out before him and say, God, this is who I am, it's hard. I don't know what to do with it. This text, I was joking with Jim. Jim and I have been joking a lot today, as you can tell. I was joking with Jim that last time I gave him a text that was like a chapter long and it was a long chapter and it had all sorts of names he had no clue how to pronounce. So we gave him a light one this week. But it's amazing to me in just these three short verses how much grace God offers to us. Using those same ideas that my teachers gave me way back when we belong. I love how the passage starts. Since we have a great high priest who ascended into heaven. You know, we're about to start Lent, and usually this time of year we don't talk about the ascension. But I think it's critical that we pay attention to the ascension before we start into Lent this year. The ascension teaches us that Jesus is at the right hand of God the Father, interceding on our behalf. That our flesh, our humanity, is really sitting with God the Father right now in God's presence. And he's constantly interceding for us. Constantly interceding is a big kind of churchy word. It means he's praying for us. He's advocating for us. He's saying, hey dad, pay attention to them. Hey, Dad, did you see what they're going through? Hey, Dad, watch out for them. Hey, they need you. He's interceding for us. He sees where we're struggling. 
He sees where we're hurt. He sees our longings, and he's bringing them before God the Father, and not only what we want and what we're aware of, but what we really need. Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God the Father. We belong in God's presence, not because of anything we've done or because we've somehow pulled ourselves up by our own bootstraps, but we belong in God's presence because Jesus Christ, who's fully God and fully human, fully one of us, is already there interceding on our behalf. And he's saying, they belong here with me. They belong in your presence. We belong because of Jesus Christ. We can have confidence before God as well. In fact, we can be comfortable because we don't have to hide anything. Did you catch that in this text? That incredible grace? Jesus Christ, who's sitting at God's right hand, interceding for us, is familiar with all our ways. He's been tempted in every way, just as we are, every way possible. He's been tempted, and he didn't sin. But the fact that he's been tempted, the fact that he truly and really understands what we're going through, that he understands the desires that get awoken that are unrighteous and unholy, that he understands the temptation to lie to your parents, to try and get out of trouble, that he understands what we go through. We can be comfortable coming before him and say, hey, Jesus, I'm having a rough day. In fact, this temptation's kicking my butt. I'm giving in all over the place. Help. We don't have to to hide it. We don't have to make ourselves look better than we are. We don't have to deny that temptation is there. We can actually come before God and say, you see me. You, in fact, know what I'm going through because you went through it yourself. Help me out. Come. Come help me. And we can be comfortable being ourselves, our real selves, not our pretend, put together, everything's happy selves, but our real selves that have struggles and brokenness, doubts and fears, temptation. And say, God, this is me. Come help me. Last of all, my teachers always talked about you have something to contribute, and it, it was a way of building up our ego and our sense of, of pride and and try and give us a, a sense of dignity in the midst of what we were doing. But really, this text turns it around. This text, in some sense, says God has something to give to you, and you have something to receive. We can come before God because we have something to receive from Him. It's as if God has this incredible gift for us that's just waiting for us. And we have the right to come before him because of what Christ has done, but we also have the need to come before him because we need to receive from him. That gift of life, we need to come before him. And so we can have confidence because we actually belong there, not because we have something to give to God, but because we have something to receive from God. To enter into his presence and say, Lord, what do you have for me? And I love how the text puts it here have for me mercy 
I need to receive mercy. I need to receive your grace. I need those things. We come before God not with everything that we've got put together and figured out, but we come before God because we need mercy and grace. How much more comfortable would we be if we could walk up to each other and just say, I need grace today. How much more rich would our experience of being the body of Christ be if we could come alongside each other and say, I need a little grace, a little mercy. You happen to have some from the Father that you can pass along today. That we could share with each other that grace and mercy that we're receiving from God. What a gift it would be to be comfortable with each other before God to receive these gifts of grace and mercy. When you continue to unpack this text and the texts around it, what it really comes down to is God has already given us grace and mercy in Jesus Christ. We have a hard time believing it. We have a hard time accepting it. We have a hard time receiving. But that word comes again and again throughout this book, this letter of the Hebrews. It comes again and again to say, Jesus Christ, God's own Son, died on our behalf to make us right with God and to give us a new life in Him, not marked by fear, not marked by anxiety or worry or doubt, but marked by grace, marked by freedom, marked by joy, marked by new life, marked by a sense of peace with God. We are starting Lent this week. Many people know what Lent is. Few. Lent is a, a season that the church has uh, often practiced. It's actually quite old in church's history. It was originally designed to help people who were just coming to faith have an intense time of discipleship before making a public profession or, or a baptism and committing themselves to Christ. And, and the church would, would go through this period of, of helping them to walk closer to Christ. And, and that period involved really two things. It involved confessing sin and letting go of things that in our life that were not honoring the God. And it also involved, it also involved stepping into new patterns of living that reflected more wholly and more faithfully the discipleship that Christ calls us to. This year, we're going to pay attention to Lent as a church. And we're going to do so in a few way, ways. One, we're going to spend more time in our worship talking about the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. A lot of Lent traditionally gets us to focus on Good Friday, Monday through Saturday. In fact, that Monday through Saturday rhythm often involved for the church practices of fasting and silence as we paid attention to this incredible sacrifice of Jesus' death on the cross to pay for our sins. And that silence and fasting was intended to draw us more fully into an awareness of our own sin and the greatness of Christ's death on the cross. But Sundays, the Sundays of Lent, were meant to be a time of celebration. In fact, a, a pattern uh, arises throughout this time of feasting and celebrating on Sunday 
and fasting throughout the week. And so we're going to practice that feasting in a little different way this year than we often have before. We're going to have communion, not just once a month, but for Lent, we're going to have it on Ash Wednesday. We're going to celebrate communion each of the Sundays during Lent. We're going to celebrate communion again on Monday, Thursday, and we'll celebrate communion on Easter Sunday. As we gather for worship, we're going to enter into the celebration of this gift of Christ's death and his resurrection. And our Sundays will have a bit more of that joyful feel to them as we celebrate this Easter that's coming. And we anticipate in the Sundays ahead, Christ is coming. He is alive and we get to celebrate that week in and week out. I mentioned that already. One of the other things that, that we're doing with Ash Wednesday this year is we're going to model it after a service that doesn't have songs in it. It's going to be a time of, of reading some scripture passages, some silence, of prayers, some that we share together and some that are, are actually prayed silently by ourselves. It's going to be a way this coming Wednesday to enter into this Lenten season. So we invite you to come out Wednesday night this week as we learn together and enter this season of, of paying more close attention to Christ's death and resurrection together. And we've also added another piece in this year. If you have a mailbox here and you checked it this morning, you may have found this in it. It's a Lenten devotional. Each day throughout Lent, there's a little devotion in it, some scripture passages to read. We're giving this out this year as a way of encouraging us to be more intentional for this next season between now and Easter with our own discipleship. To take seriously as a congregation our, our core value of active discipleship, of engaging scripture and praying and, and developing these habits and rhythms together. So we invite you to, to take it home. If you don't have a mailbox, there's about 20 of these left over on the, on the table that's out in the gathering room out here. Feel free to take one. If you find we're running out, let me know. We'll make more and make sure you get one. This is a way for us as a church to enter into this season and read scripture together even though we might not be gathered in this place. All of these things together, these things that we'll be doing during the next uh, month and a half as we approach Good Friday and Easter are intended to immerse us day in and day out into the rhythm of grace that's evident in this passage and, and throughout Hebrews. That God sent his only son to die in our place to reconcile us with himself, to give us confidence as we come before God, not in ourselves and what we have done, but in God, who has already forgiven us, who has already lavished his love on us before we've even asked, who's totally familiar with all our ways, including our temptations and sin, who's taken it upon himself and invites us to come to him, to receive mercy and to receive grace in our time of need. Let's pray. We thank you, Lord, for little bite-sized pieces of your scripture. We marvel at how rich they are, how delightful they are, how full of life and grace 
your word is. Thank you for this short word out of Hebrews. Thank you for your grace to us. Thank you for interceding for us with the Father. Jesus, we cannot comprehend how good of a gift that is. Help us to come before you, not just today, but in the weeks and in the month and a bit ahead as we turn our attention more fully and closely to your death and your resurrection. Grow in us the confidence to come before you. In Jesus we pray. Amen. Invite us to stand and sing together before the throne of God above.